0: everybody this morning in the studio we have dea asac polo how you doing good morning and we have retired u.s marshal dick tracy hey, good morning and no fighting guys <laughs> okay before we get started i'm polo tell us about you tell us your background
1: yes ma'am good morning i'm uh, polo reese i'm the asac out of the the tucson district office from uh, on behalf of dea i was uh, born and raised in the west uh, texas and uh, i went to university of texas at el paso graduated out of college there and then went out to los angeles was a police officer approximately five and a half years Then i came on the dea in 1998 well wow. and uh, since i've been on the job in 1988 uh, <laughs> i've been overseas uh, over well, 23 years uh, 11 of them were overseas and the other other 10 were actually domestic overseas where we overseas uh predominantly i spent a lot of time in mexico uh yeah. i spent time in uh, sinaloa uh yucatan also in mexico city and uh but pretty much in, when i was down there i also worked operations in uh uh central america and south america very cool
2: so, yeah. rich tell us about your background well, I um, started with the Marshal Service, uh, United States Marshal Service, in 1990 in Chicago. Came to Tucson in 1993, and uh, not intending to stay in in Tucson, but uh, fell in love with the area. Met my wife, and eventually we, we decided to stay here. Uh, fortunately, I, I was able to retire as the Assistant Chief Deputy for the Tucson Division, and. Uh, came across Polo more than a couple times in the course of my career. And I do have to say that our, the relationship in my experience between DEA and the Marshall service was a lot more cohesive and collaborative than uh, you alluded to in the open. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. I wanna talk a little bit about that, but f- before we get into that, explain to people Title 21.
1: So Title t- 21 is uh, where we, in DEA we enforce the Controlled Substances Act and with that we have we schedule drugs between Schedule 1 to Schedule 5 and for instance uh, heroin, marijuana, uh, cocaine, methamphetamine, steroids, oxycodone, all these different types of uh, opiates uh, to going from the opiates to the regular other other drugs so that's what we, our, our main emphasis and our job is to enforce those laws, the drug laws on the, on the uh, through the Controlled Substances Act. Now, uh, a lot of time we partner up with other agencies. And in other agencies, we actually deputize them or we cross. Uh, cross deputize. Exactly. We cross deputize them as with Title 21 authority. So that way they can also be like uh, another drug agent. If in case they run into a situation where they have to seize uh, a controlled substance, then at that moment, they can actually do that action.
0: When you cross-deputize somebody, do you make
1: them hold their hand up and and yes, actually
0: say an oath?
1: Yes, yes, we do. And actually, the it's not an it's not an easy deal. Is yeah, something that you have to actually go. But we send all the paperwork to my special agent in charge, which is Sherry Oz. She's up in Phoenix, in Phoenix Arizona. She's been on the show. Yes, she's an awesome lady. And uh, we uh, we send all the paperwork to her, and then from there it goes up to headquarters. They authorize it, and then from there we send it back down, and we actually sit down. And do the, the holding up the, the, hand, the hand. And do and, the oath? Yes, ma'am.
2: Yeah, so you're not just deputizing anybody.
1: That is correct.
2: Okay, do you do that? Well, I was going to add that the, the only authority, that the marshals specially deputize people for a number of, of things, uh, not only our task forces, but when there's a, a Super Bowl and they're going to have all people working with, you know, the, the federal folks are, that are in charge of security for a, a major event, uh, they'll be special deputized as U.S. Marshals. But the only authority that the U.S. Marshals do not specially deputize people under is Title 21 authority. So that's reserved specifically for DEA. So uh, we we grant authority under almost every other, you know, every other uh, federal law and every other mandate that, that people work under except for Title 21
0: so if I was going to go work the Super Bowl, which I did a couple of years ago, I could get deputized, or do I have to be law enforcement? Yeah, you have to be law enforcement. So yeah. you can't just, "Hi, I'm here. Can you deputize no, me?" No, no, no. So these are all folks that, that are
2: assigned to work the, the event from uh, from various law enforcement agencies, that, and and those are usually run by, uh, by the Secret Service as a national. I forget the exact the exact term now, but a national something event. Rather. Yeah, yeah. National security event or something like that. Do they, they get a it. special badge, a gold uh, well, sticker, something? When, um, <laughs> when, <laughs> when you're specially deputized to work our task force, you you, you do. Um, but for those events, you, you get a, uh, a special deputation card, and that, that's signed by the marshal that or like uh, the a official card. That, no, no, it's a it's a little credential card that you okay. carry with you. That if you're ever asked to show it, you would. Do you have to turn it in when it's over? No, it it has you an ex- to keep it, it. It has an expiration date. Oh.
0: Yeah, midnight tonight, you're done. (laughs) Okay.
1: Sherry, I will mention that uh, with the U.S. Marshals, when there's a national uh, disaster event, for instance, Hurricane Wilma or something like like this happened in the past, Mm -hmm. where we all partnered up as federal agencies, along with the state and locals, and uh, we actually send people from DEA, and other federal agencies are mandated to send their personnel, and that's where we get the cross-designation with the U.S. Marshals. Okay. Right.
2: So we we actually I was gonna I didn't know if I was gonna throw that in there, but we actually specially deputize DEA agents and FBI agents and agents and other agencies so that they can do so that they can perform under certain state and local laws that they don't have the authority to do unless they get that special deputization because the attorney general has designated that authority to the marshal service it gets all convoluted and complicated but uh but
0: but it works out it it does it does (laughs) everybody's working together
2: yeah there's just a lot of there tends to be a lot of lawyers involved that created these processes way way back when that we still follow to a large degree today
1: i
0: bet that's a huge contract lawyers are involved (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> you get them involved. I don't know, sometimes don't, th- things kind of delay there.
0: Just like, what did that say? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. Okay. What what has uh, been going on recently that you want to inform our
1: listeners about, Polo? Well, for us, I mean, of course, we've been, I mean, everybody knows. I mean, this is something that we've been dealing for the last couple of years. I mean, we've been dealing with the COVID uh, deal, but uh, with that, of course, has caused a lot of problems uh, in the southern border and uh, bringing over here to the United States. Uh, it's changed over from the the regular marijuana stuff. Now it's going into the synthetics. It's going to synthetics where you got fentanyl, which is uh, replacing heroin. And then you got the methamphetamine, which is somewhat replacing the cocaine. And uh, when you got the synthetics going on and you got these organiza- transnational organizations from across the world <clears throat> bringing those those products over here, it's uh, directly affecting us because here in our communities, we're having massive amounts of uh, overdoses. Last year, we had uh, close to a little over 91,000 deaths, and that was uh, all attributed to fentanyl overdoses along with methamphetamine overdoses. So one of the problems that we're facing is that now the transnational organizations are changing over the structure where no longer do you have to shoot up something no longer do you have to smoke something now you just pop a pill now they're just putting in a pill for us i mean us as humans what do we do you feel backache you feel something you have a headache what do you do pop a pill right so they're making it like but not fentanyl well fentanyl (laughs) exactly but what what, what's happening is these or these uh organizations are putting uh, uh traces of fentanyl into the pills and then, but uh, those, those traces are not uh, uh, tracked. You know, they're not monitored. So you can get that one lethal dose. We tested it to over 20, 27% of all fentanyl that we have seized is all, it comes out to a uh, lethal dose. So what is that telling you? That says if you take a pill, you're going to die. Exactly. So, I mean, like for instance, uh, if, if we see... There was one of the big seizures we had, uh, two hundred thousand pills of fentanyl. Wow. That's that's close to fifty-seven. If you look at it, fifty-seven thousand deaths that you just because of the fentanyl. that just in we one seized, seizure. That's a, just one seizure, and it's multiplying. And unfortunately, here in Arizona, we we are leading the country here in the in the fentanyl seizures. It's a good thing because that means in law enforcement we're all working together, the uh, federal agencies all working together because we see this as a big big problem. But, what is happening? Uh, these organizational members are then moving the stuff here to their our southern border here in Arizona and in California. Jeez, and
0: everybody <laughs> works together to try to, to yes. try to fight this a couple of weeks ago, I had somebody say, and it just lit me up. had somebody say, law enforcement isn't doing enough regarding the drug situation, and this young lady acquaintance her brother apparently is hooked on drugs and it just made me so angry i was just like what are you doing about it this is your brother why do you expect police to come in and cure his problem do an intervention if you've got if you're a family member or a friend of somebody and you know they're they've got problems help them don't expect law enforcement to come in and hold your hand and take you down to the rehab and there's so many resources here that, you know people and they're listed on our website lawmatters1030.org go to the agencies to DEA they're listed right there yeah. and you know let's let's help ourselves not expect somebody to come in and and fix your problem
1: exactly and uh, we all had members I mean I know I have had family members at one time or another addicted to something mm-hmm. and uh, whether it was tobacco use to whether to something and but the intervention is very important yeah. the family member now if that person doesn't want to do it then they're not going to do it you can lead a horse to water but you can't make the horse yeah. drink the water right exactly so at the end of the day but the main thing is if if you see it you got to attack it and you got to uh, intervene so that way that person you at least you tried and, and you tried and you put in your consciousness. that you person dies and you didn't <laughs> try then you'll go oh i should have done something exactly. well it's too late And our part, what we do, specifically in the last couple of years, what we ended up doing now is more a demand reduction. We've always had that, where we actually go to the schools, we actually go to the hospitals, we go to the businesses, and we explain, look, we're not bad people. As drug law enforcement officers, we're not bad people. What we're trying to do is just trying to educate you, and we're trying to show you what the problems and the ills that Happens because at, at any given day, somebody like I told you becomes addicted to something, and that person—it's it, a trickle-down effect. Yeah. One doesn't really think about it, and one says, "Oh, well, it's it's a victimless crime, and it's just a person going to do." But many times, that person has has to pay money to to pay for 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 the drugs, right? So sometimes that person doesn't have a job. Well, now they're you, you, out burglarizing people exactly you 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 park your car at for instance park place mall right and then all of a sudden next thing you know uh that person goes and breaks into a car and then steals your (laughs) converter (laughs) so yeah i think the people who are buying those need to be a
0: little worried because law enforcement's coming for you that's correct So it's it's, it's a ripple effect. Yes, it is. And people think, you know, oh, it's just his problem. No,
1: it's our problem. That's correct. And one of the things that I remember back working with with Rich was that, you know, working, the the only way we can do this is working together. Because if it's just my mission and uh, U.S. Marshall mission or uh, Pima County mission, that's not going to work. We all work together. And luckily here, what I found here, it's one of the amazing things. I've been here already and uh, working in Arizona over 90 years, and what I've seen is just that working all of us to work together. You know, right now, you know, you have uh, 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 Chief, uh, Sheriff Nanos, you know, Chief Riley from Oro Valley. Uh, you got uh, uh, Ruben over there at uh, in Marana, and everybody all works together. And that's yeah. a great thing about it because it's not just about me, me, me. It's about working for the people, and that's your, exactly your taxpayers go to work. And we make sure that us in high level positions, we make sure that they go to work. And chief Riley is going to be on here next week. Oh, she's awesome. She is. She's an it's amazing. Yes.
2: And, and even though we have, I, there's going to be no complete elimination of any of the rivalry and the turf battles. But I, I will say over the course of my career here in Tucson and Pima County and Southern Arizona, it was a lot, a lot less than any, you know, than anywhere else. We you hear stories around the country of, you know, some of the turf battles that go on and, and, uh, it really, it just obstructs the ability to get the job done. and it, And the citizens suffer in the end. And I think here in Pima County in Southern Arizona, we everybody that I've ever dealt with, again, some of the some of the smaller battles aside have all still wanted to get you know get the job done and accomplish the mission and work together to the extent that uh, that's absolutely possible
0: yeah, i've 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 listened to different agencies razz each other. Uh, you know that's to be expected, yeah. but, but in the end, they're all working together, yes, ma'am. and that's huge—absolutely huge. So, tell me how citizens can help both organizations
2: with uh, their jobs. Well, all right, yeah. I'll, uh, <clears throat> uh, you know, the in the fugitive mission and the marshal service, we, you know, a lot of our, you know, the the bread and butter of that is developing information to locate. Where individuals are not necessarily solving crime but oftentimes in the course of finding a fugitive you you solve a crime as well but uh, you know developing that information we rely uh, on tips from people that we either go out and interview or people that call ADA crime and provide us information on where people are because we've advertised that someone is is being looked for. And that doesn't mean we've put up a billboard or done a radio ad. I mean, we've gone out into the community and let people know that someone is uh, is wanted and let them know how they can provide information anonymously. And, and a lot of those cases are solved um, by, by that piece of information that comes from a member of the public that we hadn't We might not have gotten otherwise. And and it might seem obscure to the person who's providing it, but when you couple it with the information that the investigator has, all the other puzzle pieces. Yeah, it could fill that it could finally create that bingo moment where you've changed the trajectory of the investigator and the fugitive and put them on a course to intersection, which is where the arrest occurs. So that's what we that's what we always used to say is you know, the fugitive is on a path, we're on a path. And our, our goal is to make those lines converge and cross one another, where we can effect an arrest, and then doing that safely and all those kind of things then come well, into play. Well, isn't
0: that what happened with uh, the
2: man and woman that escaped, and they were found up in uh, the U.S. Marshals tracked them down the up to Kingman. Escape. They wound up in the national forest, and that that was a um, that was a uh, uh, a call from someone. I mean, the, we flooded the media with information about them because right. we were we were concerned that. They could be anywhere in the country. I mean, that investigation ranged from them being on the Mexico, or I'm sorry, the the Montana Canadian Canadian border to you know any number of places. And and in the end, they were found uh, on a national forest in in northern Arizona by a uh, by an unarmed Forest Service employee that just happened to be driving through the rest areas and saw a vehicle that we had identified. You know, and um, they were in custody shortly thereafter
0: that's awesome
2: right so that's, that's putting that's putting those lines that's a perfect example of those of us trying to get those lines to
1: cross where we are now okay we know where coming to, are exactly coming for you so <laughs> okay and, and that's true and as as far as on our end uh it, you know we we get so much information coming in and we get tips and we get as, as we discussed earlier was that, uh, you know, we could get four or 5,000 calls, you know, on some information that's coming through, but we have to filter through that information because sometimes we, the information we get is like, no, it's not really there. And there are times that, the public would say, "Well, I did call, and I, I, I'm, I'm trying to." And then I said, "Look, we got to do an investigation. We just can't." There's people, a process. There's a process. There's a surveillance. There's all these different things that we end, end up putting in place in order for us to see if there is a crime occurring, then we can take action to it. But at, at the end of the day, it's something that we we're striving, and we also like Rich mentioned is that we end up uh, uh, cross referencing, we deconflict with each other. Information It says, look, I got this information. Uh, uh, what do you think? And then it's like, oh, yeah, you know what? I had the same information, too. And then that's where we married up together in order to be able to do an apprehension. Or for us, it's more on the, you know, on the prosecution side. And as an example of that, how that <clears throat> how working together helps is that
2: they may have a tip that they can't that's not actionable. Uh, but we may have information, similar information from what we can testify to as a as a reliable source okay. that would lead to the ability to get a search warrant. So their tip or vice versa and our reliable source, you know, with that information can then jump the, the process of the investigation further because, as Polo says, you, you can't just go you know, serve Gun a search blaze, warrant on a house because you got a tip <laughs> about, you know, right. marijuana being or whatever being in a house at a certain location. You have to still develop the information to legally get now, into that, that wouldn't house and hold to verify up in it. court if you just went and you know, you have to have a probable cause. Well yeah, not only that, but it would it would result in humongous lawsuits against the agency and the agents who, who would behave that way i mean it's just not the way it's not that 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 it's designed to work i mean we we, the the the, uh criminals can do whatever they want and we are bound by oath and by laws and procedures to do things the right way the criminals don't pay attention to the
0: laws so if people out there are listening and they have some kind of a tip and i've talked about it before the p3 app on your phone works internationally and you can call stay anonymous and give the information you want they'll never know who you are and the information goes to the agency that needs it and they all get listened to they all get processed and there was supposed to be a special way i was supposed to say that but i you're the professional
2: when calls come in they don't just ignore them no they they get screened and um, they they're all dealt with appropriately yeah, I, so regardless of how of how inane you think the information is or unimportant it is if you think you have information about any of the things that you know that that are going on crime wise using these apps and 88 crime and those things are provide the information because you never know if that nugget that you have doesn't you know doesn't complete the picture for for, for the investigators and allow them to uh move that case forward and and again ultimately hopefully do good in the community
0: exactly in yeah. the p3 phone app goes on any of your phones you can find it in your little shop thing and it works in arizona it works in mexico it works in canada it works all over so you know that's something that's not just a local number it's an international number so awesome i'm i'm happy to hear that that we were helping people, we used to do a most wanted segment on yeah. on the show.
2: Yeah, I I, uh, I, I would uh, come on your show in the beginning of every every when I was still with the Marshall Service and profile a fugitive for a couple of minutes in advance of the show, just to and, and you know we we would get calls to eighty eight crime or to the Marshall Service in response to those. Yeah, and I can't tell you right now uh, without doing a little bit of research how you know if any of them led to an arrest but again that's the fact that the public is engaged in helping law enforcement suppress crime in their in their neighborhood is is it's really a good thing and very helpful as i remember the one one person had a
0: specific tattoo that you described and a friend of mine's husband had to go down into an area and he was looking at everybody's arms for that tattoo <laughs> i mean he was actively looking and i thought you know it's working yeah people are you know engaged they're listening
1: and sure, a large portion for instance in uh, drug law enforcement a large portion of our investigations are based on on uh, uh, source information mm-hmm. people come in and calling in and people are sending tips that's where we actually end up getting a large portion of our tips uh, and our investigations to push it forth a lot of people think sometimes that oh well you know you know everything um, uh, you know just you know everything that's going on my phone, and you know everything. And I said, it doesn't work that way sometimes. Yeah. And I wish I could tell you it was, but uh, maybe in other countries it might happen, but not here in the United States, we're bound by the constitution. And Absolutely. with that being said, I mean, we have to work within those confines. So, uh, but uh, we can't do our jobs without the people here. In the, the We're here to protect the community. We're here yeah. to protect and serve the community. So at the end of the day, we want to make sure that they get their, their, their uh, bang for their buck exactly
0: exactly okay we're going to take a quick break we'll be back in a few
1: this is deputy Chuke with pima county search and rescue save your phone's battery life so when you get lost we may contact you wearing bright colors that can be seen from a distance helps the effort this is a rescue not a scavenger hunt
0: law matters live show airs every saturday morning at eight On our next show, Oral Valley Police Chief Riley and internet sensation Officer Greg join our conversation. We can't do these shows without your support. Please go to LawMatters1030.org to contribute so we can keep the lines of communication open. Law Matters podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and LawMatters1030.org. This is Colleen,
2: a volunteer
1: with Pima County Search and Rescue. If you are hiking with children and pets, you need to carry the extra supplies they can't. Remember, one quart of water per person per hour, and when it's half gone, turn around and start down.
0: This is Nathan Chaven, producer for Law Matters. I have a goal to reach and I need your help. I want to put the DEA out of business. That's right, the Drug Enforcement Agency. If you have an addiction problem or know someone who does, Please reach out to lawmatters1030.org and click the dea tab for more information reaching out is the first step we have the resources if you have the will you can beat this demon and help me put the drug enforcement agency out of business
2: law matters was created to open the lines of communication between law enforcement and you 1030 in police code means excessive use or unauthorized use of the radio, something we do with each podcast posted to iTunes and Google Play. Hi, this is Rich Tracy inviting you to join our conversation and asking you to support our mission. Please go to lawmatters1030.org to contribute. No amount is too small. To report suspected human trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center at 1-888-373-7888 or text HELP or INFO to two three three seven three three. To learn more about Homeland Security investigations and our efforts to combat human trafficking, please visit our website at www.ice.gov or check out the DHS Blue Campaign at www.dhs.gov slash bluecampaign. For more information on the Southern Arizona Anti-Trafficking Unified Response Network, please visit us at www.saturn.org or find us on Facebook. This is Amy, a volunteer with Pima County Search and Rescue. An energy drink for breakfast will not prepare you for a day-long hike. Bring food, water, appropriate clothing, and a fully charged cell phone, especially a fully charged cell phone.
0: Thank you for staying with us. Our guest today in the studio is DEA ASAC Polo and retired U.S. Marshal Rich Tracy. And if you have any questions for our guests, the number is 790 2040 and we want to talk about some of the drugs that you know, this isn't like twenty, thirty years ago, Some of the potency of the different drugs. What can you tell us
1: about that? and going on the on the, on the opiate side uh, of things, what I've seen like, for instance, uh, going back almost thirty years, close to thirty years in my time in law enforcement, back then it was all about marijuana. marijuana, maybe some cocaine. Uh, from what you heard here in the United States, uh, you heard uh, the biker gangs uh, with the methamphetamine, but uh, it was far different, far different from 30 years to now. Now, what are we seeing? We're seeing is the massive amounts of, of fentanyl coming in. So what what these transnational uh, organizations have capitalized is no longer do you have to shoot up something. Now you can pop a pill on it. And that is giving you the potency of almost... Like if you had something, uh, China white, for instance, is about 98%, 99% uh, pure. So some of these other uh, heroin that you get from other countries is maybe about 40, 50%. So in the purity rate, now what the organizations are doing is adding fentanyl into it. So now you're upping it to about 95, 98, 100%. And that's where you're having to have you're having to have the, the the overdoses occurring, so that is affecting us tremendously, and especially our communities. It could be your your cousin, it could be your nephew, it could be your son, your daughter, it could be your mom. Students, students.
0: At, at, you know, they're in the dorms. I, don't take meds from your roommate. Exactly. You don't
1: know where it, it is. You don't. You know, oh, it's an aspirin. Well, maybe. I I had a husband and wife team. That uh, was down in the Yuma area uh, last year, or two years ago, and uh, the the husband uh, was was taking fentanyl. Then he dropped. Then she came over, tried to give him a, a CPR. Well, because he still had it in his mouth, well, she then dropped. Yuma came down and actually gave Narcan. One did die but the other one passed, I mean, the other one to survive. But that's where I kind of go on, on the potency of these drugs. And one doesn't realize just because like I said, it's just two grains wh- is over a lethal dose. So what have I seen is like, for instance, marijuana that's kind of like uh, here, I know here in Arizona, it's kind of, but it's still for us, it's a federal crime. Right. So if you found with marijuana, you're going to get prosecuted uh, accordingly on the federal side. Uh, but what we're seeing is the the purity rate of marijuana, for instance. A lot of the marijuana growers that are in California, Oregon, those areas in the West Coast, all, uh, you get a lot of the the organizational members from the East Coast. They're coming and crossing Arizona. They're going straight to uh, to those areas, and they're picking up you know marijuana and they're shipping it out to the to the East Coast. So, and methamphetamine for us. As I told you earlier, it was at one time, it was a biker problem. Yeah. It was just something that was manufactured by, oh, it's a you know, no big deal. But now we're it's just have so out. much of it. And uh, during COVID times, it went up to, it, before COVID, it was at $700 a pound. I remember going back when I was a local NARC in LA. And I mean, I remember buying a, 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 for a pound, I mean, for an ounce, I was paying about $10,000 as oh, wow. an, an, an undercover capacity, of course but <laughs> yeah, yeah. thanks for specifying that. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I mean, you see it now it's going, it was going for $700 a pound. Wow. So, and then COVID hit and it went up, skyrocketed up to 3000. So what, what, what happened? Well, because a lot of the, the ports were closed and, and plus, uh, uh, um, uh, foreign nationals weren't allowed to come in because these criminal organizations utilize foreign nationals to come in with the, the you know smuggling illegal drugs and stuff like that. So it's skyrocketed. So then they started going into, well, let's go start recruiting U.S. citizens, you know, and start getting them because for them they're allowed to go down south and they're allowed to come back up north. So then that's where we started seeing a rise. So the, the, still the rise of, of the, uh, the amount of dope was uh, the price of the dope was still up but then we started seeing, you know, uh, more arrests uh, and more seizures coming through. So we're still seeing them over here, you know, And uh, but we still continuing our work.
0: How does the U.S. Marshal deal with that?
2: Do they just say, oh, here's a drug addict and turn them over to DEA? Well, we probably don't deal with individual... You know, addicts on a, a on a an individual basis, level, unless right. they happen to be someone that, that we arrest, and then that usually whatever assistance is available to them comes out during the court process, either pretrial release or probation down the road or drug programs in prison. So, but but on a general, again a, on a general basis, if we come across information in the course of a fugitive investigation um, that that would be helpful to DEA in a in a broader context, we certainly pass that along. And by having deputy marshals assigned to DEA strike forces and task forces and w- working at the DEA office, you know, we're able to facilitate that so much easier by, you know, simply <laughs> instead of having to go through official channels where it's two people are talking over a desk in a squad room about that information. And, and that really makes it actionable quicker
1: and, and makes everybody more effective. I could think of uh, about uh, going back maybe about ten years. There was an investigation we were working together, and uh, it was a high level, high level trafficker that was uh, based out here in the in the Pima County area. And this individual, it turns out, uh, was connected to one of the cases that the U.S. Marshals were working. Well, because of our interaction, it says, "Oh, guess what? This this person is involved in this and this." Oh oh that's my target and unbeknownst to us this person was here and it was a foreign national living over here and uh but we ended up doing a successful uh investigation on them and we seized a lot of dope a lot of money and a lot of weapons
0: so when you seize all this stuff do, what do they do with the weapons and the money and all that what happens with that part of it
1: okay well like for instance the the money it uh, it's taken in custody then it gets taken um because that's evidence. Yes, it's evidence. But then what we end up doing, we actually take it to a bank. And then, of course, they do the accounting. They give us a cashier's check. From that point, we then actually give it over to to the, to the U.S. Marshals. And you spend it?
2: Well, no, no, no. Because <laughs> I will tell you, now, th- this has evolved immensely since the time I did it. But when I first came to Tucson from, for two years, from 1993 to 1995, I was the... Person that did that, they used to call it at that time the National Asset Seizure and Forfeiture Program. So I was the one that received all of the evidence from primarily DEA and other Justice Department agencies, vehicles, you know, uh, uh, jewelry houses i think at one time i was probably one of the largest real estate agents in tucson because i had you know I, I i would have i would have in those days i would have belonged to the million dollar club of any or of any real estate agency here in town Love it. because i now i wasn't actually selling those houses but once they were forfeited by court order then we would sell them and the and the profit or the the proceeds would go to what they used to call the national uh the the asset forfeiture fund. And then those would be distributed according to law. But I, I will say just as kind of a, I always had a, this is where I had an argument with DEA back in those days, because they would seize gold jewelry, right? And they would have it appraised at replacement value, right? right. So we, for example, uh, I remember in particular, some gold pistol grips that would fit a 1911, uh, 45 pistol, right? Wow. And the, they had diamonds on them and they had the initials of the person they seized them from. And I mean, there's a lot of money in, in the dope business for sure. I think exactly. that's, that's probably not much of a secret, yeah. but so they appraised these, uh, they appraised these, these, uh, uh, handles or, you know, Good. as, as $25,000 or whatever it, was. whatever it was. And when I had them appraised, uh, for auction, you know, th- then we only appraised them at, uh, at the value of the gold and the diamonds that were in it. Right. So, so DEA would write up their case. They seized, you know, a million dollars worth of jewelry. But when I sold it, I probably sold it for tw- 25 cents on the dollar right. at auction because it was all, all we could auction it off for was jewelers or people that wanted you know the gold and the diamonds that were going weighed it, it up, right? Yeah, and, yeah, and, and so the the value went down. So that was always a running, kind of a running uh, art argument, so to speak, that I had with DEA at that time was the replacement value versus the you know versus the actual value of the of yeah. the materials of the jewelry. And it, once it's melted down, they don't. It doesn't matter. Right. That's it's <laughs> gold. It's gold gold it is down. gold. Diamonds are diamonds, <laughs> exactly. and there's a value based on you know the value of that particular material so that, then, that that was fun
0: that
1: <laughs> so what no and he's right about the asset forfeiture fund uh, and that's where working with our partner agencies and uh, especially in the state and local side where funds may be tight and uh, at that moment that's where if there's a uh, uh, police department that's working with us then they can do what's called a dag and uh, they can actually put a a uh uh, a request to get some of that funding and that actually helps the local police departments in in the states um the state departments uh for patrol vehicles vast i mean all these different equipment. things, equipment that they need in order for them to go out and do the job because then we all know that uh, f- funds are tight
0: right now oh yeah absolutely so do the funds that are um gotten here in arizona stay in arizona or is it nationally distributed like all the agencies share
2: well i i, I you know I'll, what i'm saying will defer i'll defer to how it works since 2017 <laughs> but back in the day if if nobody applied for it here in arizona right they, they, we used to call that asset sharing right so if there wasn't an asset sharing request based on a case like usually if a state and local agency was involved in the case Mm -hmm. right that and and when they would do a request an asset sharing request and that would be adjudicated and determined by the department of justice by the u.s attorney essentially and then that whatever proceeds or assets sometimes you know if they seized a vehicle that tucson police or F, you know, or or uh, Pima County wanted as a to put into official use. They you know that would that asset would then be given to them, but they had to be involved in the case, and some of that money was then I think used later for nationwide grants. So it really is a little bit of a little bit of both, but the activity of a local agency in a particular case often led to asset sharing going back into the specifically into the community where the original You're, crime we, occurred. Right. Okay,
0: that's what I was wondering. It made me think of when i was driving through georgia i saw a squad car it was you know police i think it was atlanta police it was a corvette and i'm like what the heck (laughs) (laughs) and then i found out that it was you know a car that had been seized and i saw another one in another state i can't remember it was a camaro Mm. that had been seized how come we don't have any seized cars running around our streets
1: we actually do uh
0: okay are they undercover <laughs> yes ma'am okay well all right <laughs> so much for that you'd be no, surprised these were, these were not undercover these were like police you yes. know
1: <laughs> I Thought nobody's gonna outrun that guy <laughs> and, and, and it goes into what we were talking about earlier also about uh, the tips you know uh, for us for instance you give a good information on uh, uh somebody moving the, uh, some illicit funds m- illicit monies we seize those monies then uh, we're able to uh give a percentage to that person and if the person gets anonymous but they want to get reimbursed i mean they want to get paid for the information they provided that's where we come in and uh, the person gives us their information we go and seize it and then we go through the judicial process and then uh, we can put in that person for that uh, reward you know what we didn't even mention that the um, 88 crime phone number as
0: well as the p3 app that works internationally You create a code that identifies you and you can be rewarded for your information. And what the heck, why not? Christmas is coming, turn in your neighbors. Exactly. Why not?
1: We can't do it without you.
0: (laughs) Exactly. They can't do everything without you. So, and the other thing I heard and I was talking to Mike and you know Mike. Yes. uh, He was saying that, because marijuana is not the big thing anymore, some of the cartel have changed their crops to avocados. So if you're buying avocados that come from Mexico, you're probably supporting the cartel. So buy your avocados from California. I think I saw some from Peru, but just keep that in mind when you're shopping for your your salad this weekend. Uh,
2: I learned something this
0: morning. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. He he was on. A, Mike was on a, about a month ago. And he was saying this is what's going on and i'm like oh my god and i had avocados on my shopping list so <laughs>
1: but they're, they are good right yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're good but you know yeah. do you really want to support the cartel? exactly
1: so and uh going on the other thing uh sure in reference to the weapons uh the weapons uh, we actually uh, give those over to atf uh, alcohol and tobacco firearms and uh, we have them uh, because then they do uh, some checks Through them and make sure that they don't come back to a crime a local crime state crime or a federal crime so
0: do they have weapons that have been seized from the cartel that they use like the cars no so you don't use the weapons no
1: ma'am those are eventually destroyed or unless they there's a judicial uh uh, hearing that uh, against a uh, organizational member that's going to court or something like that that's using court Mm-hmm. but uh from there we do a submission to get them destroyed and we take them to one of these scrapyards and we destroy them you sell them for the metal no we do not
2: <laughs> <laughs> no they, they just get destroyed and there's an affidavit that the agent or whoever's out there has to witness the destruction mm-hmm. and complete an affidavit that gets returned to the court under penalty of perjury right that uh that those that, that
1: those weapons were destroyed Wow, I did not know that. And there's always a checks and balance. There's always somebody watching him or her, and vice versa. So it's not something that, you know, uh, uh, people say. Well, how do you know he's actually destroying him? Or him or right, her, right. But there's always a checks and balance. Yeah. And I will say that at
2: one time we used to take some of those weapons out to the range at Davis Monthan, where the EOD uh, uh, Air Force members would put them in a you know they'd set them up to have them destroyed by detonation and so they would when they were practicing doing what what they were doing sure we would we would go out there and, and do the same thing we go out and make sure after the detonation that all the scraps were you know that there wasn't anything left and we would sign off on the same affidavit but that, that was would be the a past lot more too. fun well yeah well <laughs> <laughs> i don't know you, you got to stand out in the hot sun and wait for it to, i mean you don't get to really see much of what happens because of the safety that they that they used to do it in, but that was that was a long time ago. I'm not aware of that happening for quite a while. But at one time we did do that. Then yeah, I would I would
0: like doing that. I was out there recently, and they did a um, canine demo, and they had the EOD truck there. In fact, I think it's on one of our websites, one of the um, videos on our website. So, if I wanted to work for either one of these agencies, let's say I want to work for DEA. What is the process for qualifying to get a job? You have to have a college degree.
1: Yes, you do. You have in, to have, in
0: anything particular?
1: It, it doesn't... Housekeeping? It, it could be housekeeping. It could be uh, <laughs> from zero to 100 for whatever it is. I mean, as long as you have a college degree, and then from there, also over 21 years of, of age. Um, Preferably
0: uh, no felonies.
1: Yes, of course. <laughs> 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 uh, there is uh, on our website, Uh it has uh, the whole plethora of things that are there. But the majority of things is, of course, college degree over 21. Have to have uh, about three years of working experience. It doesn't matter in what it is, as long as you have a full-time work a uh, uh, job going in. it doesn't have to be law enforcement it does not have to be law enforcement okay. heck we have some of our best investigators that were accountants that were believe it or not that were principals that were teachers amazing people that we get we get all p- people from all walks of life why because they have a passion in their heart they're like you know what i want to make a difference yeah. and those things it, it, if it's either in the marshals or atf or fbi or dea i mean it's about making that difference because they have, they feel like they want to make a difference for the community and, right. and make a change. And it's about just, uh, I mean, we all know, like for instance, in the drug law, uh, game, I mean, drugs will always be here. Yeah. But if we can always, we can do that education, we can do the enforcement, we can do all these different things and we'll partner up, we can make it happen. Yeah. You know, we can make it happen to prevent that one. Uh, I always think of my, my you know, my child, Uh, being involved in stuff and i'm thinking she's six years old and i'm thinking to myself you know uh 12 years from now i mean i remember when i was going to school i mean and i was in elementary going to junior high and uh there were there was a couple kids that were bringing marijuana cigarettes and that's to the school and that was like a fifth grade wow you're talking about that age i mean and did what school did you go to Uh, it was a public or it was a public school okay in west texas and but that but where i'm going at is you know, even though it was a low socioeconomic school, but at the end of the day, it was coming across, over to it's the school. Across. So if, if parents think, oh, oh, that's not gonna happen in my school, it, does, it happen. does happen. And that's why it's important for our parents to get engaged with their child, their children. And it
0: doesn't matter if it's a public school or a private school, it's going to happen. Exactly. and I. From experience, yes,
1: ma'am. And for our, on our side, I mean, we look at, at what the caliber of people. Anybody that could come on with us, it is, it is a hard job. I'm not going to tell you it's easy. Yeah, law enforcement in general, what we're facing right now, especially with the defunding the police and all these things. But at the end of the day, you're making a difference, and you're making it worthwhile for you.
0: Well, example, this acquaintance of mine who got mad because the police aren't doing enough because her brother's, you know, hey be part of the solution. You don't think it's good enough, join the department, fix it. That's correct. Make and, it better. And Sherry, oh.
1: uh, we, we, we look at the, also uh, at the thing of, uh, if anybody wants to come on board and come down, they can call me, uh, they can uh, they can call my office number, 571-324-7048 uh, or go on the website and then uh, they can all, I can give them a, if they're interested in, in doing an internship, uh, actually, we we're getting one 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 person uh, this semester from the University of Arizona to do an internship over there. Cool. And, that, and, and, and it's phenomenal because I'm, I'm so proud that we're able to get somebody in and we can put that person to see what kind of like what we're doing. And it gives that person uh, knowledge, whether it, that person comes in to become a, a special agent with us, because in DEA, it's not just being a special agent. We have intelligence analysts, we have uh, diversion investigators, we have chemists, we have pilots. We have a plethora of different duties in there that, that it's not only just being a special agent, uh, you know, uh, enforcing the Control Substances Act.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And we have internships here at the radio station too, if anybody's interested in internship. but. That's awesome yes, that you guys offer that. And I think all the agencies
2: offer something. That'd be a great show idea. Have our intern interview a DEA intern. And compare <laughs> <notes>. their experiences <laughs> compare as notes. a radio show intern and a yeah. DEA uh, intern. <laughs> <laughs> it might make for an interesting hour of radio. <laughs> I, I got to tell you,
1: there's an outstanding, uh, uh, I'm not going to mention his name, but uh, he's an outstanding uh, uh, agent that's uh, working down here in Southern Arizona. And uh, I... I came across him last year and then everybody was telling me, Oh, he was an intern up here in Tucson. And I said, wow. And then, then he came across one of our other task force officers and he actually sat down with that task force officer and I was taking notes. Can you tell me how to do my job? How can, and then he came on the job and now he's one of the most outstanding agents that we have down here in Southern Arizona. But that's coming from an intern that was just here in Tucson how old does the intern have to be uh as long as you're going to school uh 18 and above okay. uh, or uh, but as long as they're going to college they have to be enrolled in at uh, the university w- whichever you see we
0: is. take interns high school kids okay so and how old does the in- intern have to be for the u.s they Marshall? have to be
2: enrolled in college as well
0: so they keep your kids out of trouble that's in And what doesn't um
2: the police department have um some kind of a the youth police program? explorers. It's it's actually part yeah. of scouting, but okay. the major departments here have have uh, explorer programs. I know DEA. I don't know. I don't think they have them here in Southern Arizona, but I know DEA has explorers in in New York City, and so sort do of the Marshall Service. But uh, the, my uh, my son was a police explorer for the for the Oro Valley Police Department when he was in high school, and uh, the explorer program is a great way to expose young you know young uh young adults to law enforcement and the benefits of a career in law enforcement and the good that law enforcement does
0: yeah to better your and it keeps the kids out of trouble because you know they're learning all this they've got great mentors everybody should get their kids involved in some type of a program like that because they're busy doing good things they won't be busy doing bad
1: things exactly
0: and, you know, one bad thing can screw up your career for the rest of your life. And it's unfortunate that people don't think that way. But if you've got kids, high school, I mean, grade school, how young can you be an
2: explorer? Do you remember? I want to say you have to be, if I remember correctly, you have to be 15. Okay. Right. But I know the Border Patrol has has explorers, uh, Tucson Police, Oro Valley, um, Sarita, Marana, I believe they, they all. So most communities here are going to have a, an explorer kind of post. A program. They call it a post. Okay. Uh, so you should reach out. Look at, check your department's website, or and they, you should be able to find a post relatively nearby. And it's a great program. So tell me about getting on with the U.S. Marshal Service. What did, what did you have to do? Well, the, the um, requirements are virtually the same, uh, except a, a bachelor's degree is not required if you have... A requisite amount of prior law enforcement experience or military experience, and and that doesn't necessarily matter. I mean, obviously, law enforcement experience is what it is, but you don't necessarily have to be a, a military policeman or, or that in the or a military uh, MP in the in the service to be to qualify. Any any veteran would essentially qualify. So, but other than that, the 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 training requirements are. Ver- I mean, our academies are different, but how you get on, passing the background. Uh, uh, getting your first office, all, all of those things are very, very similar. So
0: where would they go to apply for the U.S. Marshal Service?
2: Um, well, the, the, any hiring information the Marshal Service would have would be at U.S. Marshals with one L, with one L, with one L. I always have to say that because I have I have letters from very important people with two thanking uh, thanking us for whatever it was we did that spell Marshals with two L's, right? So that's a that's an age old. And my problem. friend's last name is Marshall with, with two, two L's. L's. Yeah, I, one <laughs> one of my best friends, his last name is Marshall with two L's. So, but uh, U.S. Marshals one L dot gov, and there's a whole career opportunity section on our website that explains all that and where the current. Uh, opportunities are we generally hire along the southwest border first uh, and so a lot of people get hired to start here and then make their way into other offices around the country oh cool do you have
0: both of you do you have offices overseas anywhere
2: on the da
1: side yes we do
2: and when you say overseas, the, the, the Marshall the Marshall Service has offices that are outside of the United States. Okay, but I, I don't know. I don't know if I consider the Dominican Republic and Haiti and some other places where we have people necessarily overseas. But we have right. people in Mexico and a number of other foreign countries that that help with the fugitive mission.
0: Okay.
1: On the DEA side, we have the most amount of uh, offices uh, in any federal agency except for uh, CIA. Oh. Yeah, so well, we, we're, that's cool. one of the things that we re- really brand ourselves uh, as far as D is concerned, because uh, and that's where we're able to grasp a lot of sources of information from that, and to be able to be able to uh, effectively do our job. I'm surprised, Rich, that you didn't say, hey, how come you, all, you guys are always stealing our, our deputy marshals here? Well,
2: I, I, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, I will say there are a few deputy marshals that, that have been with our agency that I thought were you know outstanding deputies that have wound up making a success of themselves in the DEA and another of other federal agencies. Um, uh, although there was a time when we had people coming to the marshal service from a number of other agencies. So we're, we're not always on the losing side, but we have definitely lost some good deputies to DEA. Well, I want to thank both of you for coming in today and, and educating us about
0: what's going on with both the U.S. Marshal and the DEA service. And hopefully, our listeners have learned a little something. Next week, we have who do we have on? Oh, Chief Chief, Chief Riley, yes, and internet sensation Officer Greg. He will be here. So, next next week, shop local, stay safe, and we'll see you next week.